Amen. Amen. Well, guys, grab hold of a Bible and make your way to the Gospel of Luke. It's been way too long. I don't even want to think about how long it is. It's just been way too long. We've been making our way through the Gospel of Luke on Wednesday nights, or we were before this crazy season, and now we're back. So excited to be there, and we're hoping you would be there with us. So Luke chapter 11. Bibles in hand, hoping that you're going to join us in that. Hey, speaking to you guys who are online, inviting you into the same moment. Hopefully you got a Bible and you're joining us. As you guys are kind of heading into that, we're going to pray. But before we do that, just a quick reminder. You know, we definitely, on our Wednesday nights, we're trying to work through the Bible about a chapter, half a chapter at a time, kind of just doing it in a large way. But it's not meant to be something that only happens here. Our hope is that you're diving in, that you're diving into the passage that we're studying even beforehand. So when you come in, you guys know how it works. You get a little booklet that looks like this. We, we put these out each week. These are always for the following week. So the one that was available, although we actually had tonight's out there too because it's been a little bit of time, but they're always for the following week. And the goal is that you would pick it up and then read it. Read it, you know, before our study next week. Maybe read it several times in the, in the coming weeks. There's a brief commentary from Warren Wearsby. It's always good. And then there's some questions. They're just meant to spark your, you know, your thoughts. And our hope is that you would do that so that when you come into our space next week, God willing, that you'll have come in there with some, some just things for God to work in. Like your brain's already kind of around those thoughts. And you're already like, I was kind of wondering about that. And I had questions. And I just want to tell you, it would be good. It's certainly what we want to encourage you to. So always available for you, and we hope that you're doing that with us. Well, that aside, let's take a moment and pray for God to speak to us tonight. I'm going to lead in prayer, but hoping you'll pray as well, just asking for hearts to hear what God has for us. Father, right now, here we are. I find myself thinking of Samuel, who as a young child was instructed to come before you and simply say, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. To come and humble ourselves before you and say, here we are as your servants wanting to hear your voice. No doubt that you'd want to speak to us. No doubt that you're always speaking, that your word is firm and true and real. But God, break through to us and help us hear what you're saying to us. God, take truth tonight that's in your word and help us to hear exactly what that is for each of us. Lord, help us tonight to hear your voice. We pray for your work in us. We ask for that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Power. Yeah, in many ways tonight, that's what I want to talk to you about. Power, in that sense, just wanting to speak to you about the idea of a supply from outside of who you are, that there's a, a way of doing life that, that is meant to be there and to think about what that looks like and, and even the connection into that of, of how that works in our lives. Now, as we do that, our sp focus is going to be very specific. We want to talk about the power of prayer. We want to talk about the way that God would call us to connect to God. To, to be able to find Him being a source of strength and life that works into our lives. And that's an amazing thing. We just prayed, and I hope you had a sense of it, but I'm telling you, it's so much more. I, I mean, it's so much more. There's a, a space where you and I are invited into it. In fact, 
It's really interesting how this begins. Why don't you just notice it with me? You got your Bibles open there to chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass, as he, and he is Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Now, this is a powerful moment. I mean, bigger than I can say it. I just want to understand that. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus, the Son of God, the the one who who is God himself, perfect, never sinned, he's living his earthly life, and you know what he's doing? He's praying. He's praying that he's living his life in the supply that comes from God the Father. Now, that's just good all by itself. If Jesus needed to pray, (laughs) you need to pray, and so do I. But what I find so interesting about that is the disciples are watching this. And Jesus has what I just want to say is a magnetic prayer life. It's something that draws them to want what he has. Now, these are good Jewish boys. Like, prayer is not new to them. It's not like they've never prayed before. They have prayed their whole lives. They've learned to recite prayers. They've prayed prayers over the days and weeks. I mean, prayer has been a, a function of their entire life. But somehow it's fascinating that Jesus is praying. And I don't know how you want to imagine that. I mean, they're praying, and the disciples are just, I mean, they're just like watching him. And, and when he finishes, they almost like, Lord, teach us to do that. Because somehow what we're doing isn't that. Somehow what I'm watching, this interaction that you have, and I'm watching what prayer is in your life, it draws me. And I want to tell you it should. I hope you feel, if I can say this, that magnetic attraction to prayer that is found both in the Scriptures but in our Savior Himself, where in that sense you would say, boy, I need this. And can I tell you, you do. Prayer is one of these amazing things. It's so simple that a child can pray. And yet it's so powerful that the most mature Christian could never say, boy, I got this down. I don't need to grow anymore. Prayer is so vast and deep and broad, and it would draw us to that, and yet there should be a sense where we're asking. Now, I can't create that in your life. I wish I could. I wish I could just make sure it's present in all of your lives. It ought to be, and probably is it sometimes, where you would just admit, I would like help in praying. I mean, maybe I pray, but sometimes I just don't feel like I'm doing a great job at it. Like sometimes I have a sense there's more in this than maybe I'm yet experiencing. Uh, That's a really common, and again, if I can say it, even right perspective that should always be there. So prayer is never something that we could, you know, check off and say, well, I've got that. Let's go on to uh, another course in the Christian life. Let's, it's always one of those things. It's like, "Mm, there's more here. I could do better. I know I could do better. I know there's more but I'm hoping you're asking for it, because that's what the disciples are doing. They're like, Lord, teach us. <laughs> teach us that. Teach us what you're doing, and Jesus does, and so he says to them in verse 2, when you pray, say, and then he goes and he quotes what we know as the Lord's Prayer or as a pattern for prayer. Now, we talk about this often, so I apologize for some that are almost going to feel like, hey, I already know this, but I'm going to tell you it's really powerful. In fact, I want you to make sure you understand this. This is repeated in Scripture in a different section in Jesus' life. In Matthew's Gospel, we have the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus kind of begins his ministry on, and he gives us this picture of how to pray. 
Now we're later in Jesus' life, and they're still asking how to pray, and he gives them the exact same thing. All by itself, that should be at least a little bit interesting. I mean, that in one sense, Jesus is telling them, hey, here's a way to pray. Here's how you can do this. And I want to present it to you exactly in that way. Now, again, we do this all the time. In fact, we have a slide that rolls in our slides that basically just reminds us, hey, that you could pray through the Lord's Prayer with us. And my challenge, my encouragement is that you might try it. And if it doesn't work for you, there's no like, you have to, like this is the only way to pray. But I find it interesting that when they're asking help us to pray, he gives them this. And I have found it to be powerful every day. Every day, I pray through the Lord's Prayer. Every day, I, I, I use through it, but I don't do it in some kind of rote or just repetitive way where I just, you know, say the words. It's not a mantra. Instead, I find it such an incredible pattern, a pattern on how to pray. So again, it's always on our bookmarks. So if you get our, our Bible reading bookmarks on the back of it, you always have this. And so you could, you know, do this on your own, but let's just walk through it briefly together. So how do you how, teach us to pray, Jesus? They ask Jesus, and he gives them this. So certainly it's worth doing. So here's how it works. You know, when I think about the Lord's Prayer, you just work through this. Again, not just saying the words, but hanging your thoughts on them. That it would almost be a space that as you work through each of these, that you just make sure you spend some time in each one of these subjects. That's kind of how it works for me. Yeah, it's, it's different every day. I don't try to, but every time I try to land in all of these thoughts, sometimes thinking through scriptures that, that, that lock into that, but always being a part of it. So if you did this, if you said, okay, God, I want to I learn to pray better and I'm going to take the Lord's Prayer, well, that would mean that you would begin by just saying, Our Father in heaven, that you would recognize that there's a space of coming and just addressing Him and recognizing who he is relationally. Father, it's, it's the most amazing thing in the world that we get to have this relationship with God. It's everything. This is the love God of love God and love people. Loving him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This place where we come and just spend some time in prayer every day, just saying, God, I want to know you. I, 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 want, I, want, I want to love you. I want to walk in this, and sometimes I'll just wrap verses around this and thinking through what this looks like, but it's certainly a part of our prayer, that there ought to be a space in your prayer where you're seeking to grow in relationship with the Lord. Now, again, I'm not trying to be, you know, cruel or overly convicting about it, but I'm just going to tell you, for some, your prayers almost are just requests. It's not a bad thing. Requests are part of it. Lord, do this, do this, do this, do this. Help with this, help with this, help with this. That's great. That's a part of our prayer life. It's certainly one of the aspects of prayer. But there ought to be an aspect of prayer where you just want to know Him. Like, God, I want to know you more. I, I want to love you. I get to call you Father. I get to have a relationship with you. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit Himself is seeking to cry out from what's inside of you this, to cry out, Abba, Father. And that ought to be something that you spend some time on in prayer. Certainly, if we're going to grow in prayer is what it's supposed to be, it's relationship. And then he continues, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. It's a recognition of his character, that part of our prayer life then centers on this recognition of, of God, 
not just of relationship, but resting in who He is, declaring that, recognizing that. You know, again, for me, there's just bunches of verses that sometimes will flow in here of just thinking of God's character, of His ways, and, and one more time, just saying, God, I want to know that. Help me to see this. I want to worship You. And the interesting thing is so often, if you can get here, sometimes it's really what you find out you need. Sometimes, sometimes it can work this way in my life that I'm beginning my time of prayer and maybe I'll be thinking about praying through the Lord's Prayer this way and I have some stuff I'm really anxious about. And it's interesting if I begin here, sometimes by the time I'm done with this aspect, I'm less anxious. It's like, God, you really are God. You really are big and you're, you're good. There's not anything wrong with you. There's not anything you do wrong. There's not anything you don't understand. There's not anywhere you're not. I mean, just thinking through his character and just talking to him about that and just spending some time in worship. It's a good part of our prayer life. Then he tells us that we move to the next part. He says, where we're going to pray for your kingdom to come. This is that space where we think about heaven and we pray for it. Here's the interesting thing. That really is supposed to be a part of your prayer life. Now, it's every now and then I'll talk to people and they almost feel guilty about it. It's like, you know, I'm just, I just really want God to come back. Is it okay that I'm asking for that? It's like, you should ask him every day. I mean, like every day you should say, God, I'm in. I'm in on this thing called heaven. I, I really want, I'm, I'm ready for the rapture. Like, I'm going to cry out. That's how the book of Revelation ends, that the spirit and the bride are crying out, Lord, come. I, 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 want, I want your kingdom. I want, I want what's coming. And to grip your heart around that, to grip your, grip your heart around that, sometimes takes in, again, that perspective of everything that's coming. Again, my, my words fail me. I don't think I can say it well enough, but it's often that I recognize that in these first three aspects are some of the best parts of my prayer. I mean, they're the thing. I mean, sometimes when I can get through these three things and really say, God, it's about relationship. It's about how good you are. It's about seeing that you're working an eternal thing in your kingdom. It's like, wow, that's what I really needed. That's what I, I, I needed to camp my heart and mind around that and, and to find myself connecting to God in that way. It's powerful. It's certainly part of that. And then we get to that part where he says there in verse two, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is that space where we're asking for God's help, where we're saying, God, I, I want what you want. I want your guidance. This is that place where we're asking, Lord, need direction. I'm praying for this person. I'm praying for our nation. I'm praying for people. I'm asking for your will to reign in this. This is that place where we, where we ought to be. Again, it's a big part of prayer, but lovingly, carefully, I just want to make sure you understand it's not all that prayer is. If all your prayer is asking for God's guidance, you're missing out on the bigger package of everything that God has for you. But it is this. It is a place where God tells us we can cast all our cares on Him, or we can ask Him, God, I need help. I need guidance. I want your will to be done in my life, in my family, in my marriage, in our church, in our nation, and asking for that guidance, asking for him, saying, God, what I long for is for what you would have there. Praying for that, longing for it, certainly is a part of our prayer ought to be there. Add to that, they were praying, in a sense, for his strength. Give us this day our daily bread where we're asking God, not only do we need guidance, we just need help. <laughs> we need daily supply. We need bread, like our, our, our just today. And it's really helpful for me just to focus on that aspect when I'm in this part. I'm not talking about bread for tomorrow. I'm not talking about helping me. I, I need to make it today. I just need to make it through today. 
and I need help today. I need physically, emotionally, spiritually supply. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That an aspect of seeking to ask for God's help, ask for His, His power to be at work in our life, recognizing our need, crying out for the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is often something I think of in this space, where He said, you know, if we, if we, if we live our lives in the flesh, it's going to go badly for us. But if we walk in the Spirit, there's love, and there's joy, and there's peace, and there's long-suffering, and there's goodness, and there's faithfulness, and there's self-control, and it's like, I need that. <laughs> like, that's what I'm needing. I'm needing what, God, you would supply into my life today. I'm needing that to be who I, what, what you have for me. And then in verse 4, forgive us our sins, that there is a space where we come and ask for that, that there ought to be a space because it's a daily problem. We're not talking about forgive me our sins so I get saved. Again, it's one of those spaces that, you know, you need to ask God to be your Savior. You need, if, you're, if that hasn't happened in you, you need Jesus to do that. But when you get saved, it doesn't mean like, well, that's already done. You know, Jesus already saved me. So I don't have to pray about those things ever again. We fight a battle every day with sin. Everything we do is marked by it. And to come and appropriate and say, God, I'm needing just a washing a, a, a cleansing, and both to just recognize what that is, but ask for it. I mean, the reality is that we struggle. We struggle with our failures. We struggle with guilt. Satan pounds us with condemnation. But one of the greatest things we have is to take hold of Jesus's forgiveness. And we ought to pray for it every day. Like, God, I'm just needing it. I, I want to step into it. I want to confess my sins, as it says in 1 John. And you are faithful and just to forgive me of all my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I mean, it's just, it's grabbing that every single day. Connected to it, though, he says, you know, we're going to ask for forgiveness as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, or everyone who sins against us. Now, these two go hand in hand, and Jesus talks about it a lot, that those who are forgiven should be forgiving. And there is a sense that if we're enjoying forgiveness then that should flow out into the way that we forgive other people. Now, I really find that there's a huge connection here. So here's kind of how this works in my life. You know, I, I seek to do that. Like, Lord, help me to be gracious. Who, you know, help me to forgive. And sometimes I find out that I'm not being very gracious. Now, that probably doesn't happen to you guys because you guys are better than me. You know, so just going to be honest. But, but, you know, sometimes you're like, okay, God, I'm not really, boy, I'm frustrated with somebody right now. Or I'm frustrated with things. What I kind of realize needs to happen is I need to back up a step again. It's like, I've forgotten. I've forgotten what a sinner I am. I've forgotten that I'm one that if I were tried only on what I've done today, I'm done. Like, I, I am desperately in need of mercy and grace every single day. And when I can get a hold of that, it flows into forgiveness with others. And so I can ask for it, Lord, help me to be gracious like you're gracious. And it really does become that. This doesn't become a place where I'm trying to talk God into forgiving me. It actually becomes almost this gauge that's like, okay, you know, I think I walked through the motions. I think I asked for forgiveness, but I wasn't really asking for it because I'm being like unkind right now. And it's like, okay, I should do back up and say, God, show me again. Help me, help me to know your forgiveness. And every time it's, it's meant to be a part of it. Now, Jesus is really serious about this. In Matthew's gospel, he just lets us know, if you're not going to do this, then you're not going to enjoy my forgiveness. If you're not going to be forgiving, then you can't have this. And so it's not, again, a losing of our salvation, but it is an, a hindering of relationship. So it's, an, it just, it's a vital one for us every day. 
Well, it works out really well if that's how you're praying, that the next thing then becomes like, Lord, help me not to blow it now. Like, lead me not into temptation. Now, this isn't an accusation against God as if somehow he was planning your demise. It's almost, again, it's image like, God, I'm going to mess it up if you don't help me. God, I, I need you to, because all by myself, I can, I, I, can, I can fall into temptation, and I need help. I need you to just lead me away from those spaces or help me in, in those moments when I'm tempted today not to fall. God promises us in, in Corinthians. He tells us that there's no temptation that's overtaken us except that which is common to men. But God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what's what you're able. He'll provide a way of escape. So I talked about it. Like, Lord, I need to see that. I need to see the way of escape and I need out. I need to figure out how not to do that. And he's faithful to do that but it's a daily struggle. But my problem isn't just me. Our problem is that we also have an enemy, that we're, we're praying for God to rescue us from Satan, that we're saying, God, you know, forgive me. Don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Rescue me from Satan. Rescue me from, from this one that the Bible tells us is our enemy. He's the prince of the power of the air. I mean, I hope that's not like a surprise to you. I think for some of you, it should be like, our world is so broken. Sometimes it feels like there's like an evil presence working in our world. There is. He's, he's called the prince of the power of the world. Does it surprise you that we have an enemy? It shouldn't. It should be every day. Like, God, I recognize this and seek to ask for strength. Often praying maybe through the, what's talked about in Ephesians 6, the armor of God, the, the appropriations of Christ's character over our lives and saying, God, I just, I so need this to handle these moments because I have an enemy that would destroy my life and destroy what, what you, God, I need you to help. And that can happen, but it's meant to be something that we're seeking. Now in Matthew's gospel, it ends with just this place of just saying, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Which is just a great kind of worshipful moment at the end. He doesn't give this here in Luke. And again, but it's kind of an understood in the midst of all of that, because in many ways that just pulls back to everything that's there. Now, I'm just wanting to give this to you. I'm just wanting to tell you, I, I, I don't know if even that quick just preview of what that is or what that looks like is something that you have worked through or didn't. But I just want to tell you, you know, it doesn't have to be that way every time you pray. That's certainly not that way at all. But if you find yourself just stilted in prayer or not knowing how to pray or sometimes feeling like you're not covering it, if you could try this, because here's how it works for me. Not every day, because sometimes my heart's not always there, but sometimes I just, it helps me like walk through every aspect. It's like I can get to the end. It's like, I, I, yeah, we've been, talked about relationship. I've worshiped. I've thought about heaven. I've prayed for forgiveness. I've, I mean, it just works me through the aspects that open up this avenue of what's available to me in my relationship with God and what's available to me in prayer. See, I'm wanting you to understand that prayer is powerful. Prayer is a place where you can get a hold of God's power into your life. And, and yet it has to be all, I mean, it's like in one sense, we're saying, God, these are the things I need. Like, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm asking for. And so Jesus gives that to us, and I just find it powerful. I just want to tell you, I love its simplicity, and I love its helpfulness. And it's the instruction that Jesus gives. That Jesus, when the disciples said, hey, show us how to pray teach us to pray like you pray. Jesus said, okay, pray this way. Pray these things. Pray through these aspects. And it would open up for you incredible things. Just challenge you to try it. But then he adds a couple things. Verse 5, and he said to them, which of you 
shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to, to, to come to me on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. He will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to you because he is, he, he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So it's kind of this funny story. I mean, you kind of get it. And he's like, so here's this guy, he goes over to his house and like, hey, you know, I got people coming. He's like, no, I'm in bed. My kids are in bed. We're all like here, go away. He's like, even though friendship might fail at that moment, persistence will win the day. Like you just keep knocking. They'll find, fine. <laughs> like I'm coming. Are you Go away. And yet he's saying, hey, there's something for us in this. There's something for us where we would recognize there's a power in persistent prayer that there's a power in us praying. In fact, Jesus ties into it this way. Verses 9 or 10 are, are, are interesting because in some ways they bridge between these two thoughts, but really probably tying in with this. Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Like, you should pursue this because God answers. If you seek, if you knock, if you ask. He's calling us that prayer, real prayer, is a persistent prayer. Now, quick FYI, because sometimes people get confused over this. But didn't Jesus tell us not to pray repetitiously? I mean, that's what he says when he's giving the same instruction in Matthew's gospel. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. Is this telling us that we shouldn't pray for the same thing more than once? No. That has nothing to do with what Jesus is instructing. Hey, for some of you, you'll understand this better than others. Some of you have spent some time in like a Catholic church, and so when you were taught how to pray, you taught how to pray like Hail Marys or something like that. And, and so you really did feel this like, okay, if I say 47 Hail Marys, if I say 300 Hail Marys, that might earn me more favor because I, I, I'm just, I'm saying the, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's like, that's not it. This isn't the kind of thing where you're like, you know, you kind of have some mantra that you say things over and over and that earns you favor with God. He's telling us to pray honestly. So hear me clearly, there is a place of persistence. In fact, that's a really good thing. For someone who learns to pray well, they, sometimes they just, they grab hold of something and they're just, they're coming back to it over and over again and they're praying for it again and Lord, I'm praying for it again and God, I'm praying for this again and God, I'm praying for it again. And that's powerful. That's something that's persistent that we ought to be those who, who, who take hold of things and don't let them go till either God answers them or tells us no. You know, the kind of thing where there's a, a persistence in real prayer. Now, Jesus adds to that this. Verse 11, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, he will, give, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How much more will He do this? And there's a, an emphasis on this childlike dependence and expectation. 
And it's really important to kind of hear this, especially kind of grabbing this with what we just talked about. So, so you know, how, here's how it works. If, you, if you're, a, if you're a, a father, if you're a mom here today and your child asks you for bread, you know, you're not going to be cruel to them. I mean, you give them a stone. If they're asking you for an egg, you're not going to give them a scorpion. I mean, you're, you're, he says if, if, you know, there's, there's a kindness that rolls from just parents to children. How much more is our father? In other words... There's a simplicity, there's a, a beauty, there's a, a relationship. So let me try to say it this way. Prayer becomes one of these things, that if you can see it, you see the power of persistence alongside this childlike reception. And they go hand in hand. That they're, 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 It's not an either or. For somebody, prayer has, has grown so hard for you that you're struggling with praying because you just feel like I don't do it well enough. Like, I don't even know why I should try. I mean, I I feel like it's complicated, or I feel like, and and you need to hear how God, you know, what do you think God is? I mean, if a father would take care of his children, how much more will our heavenly father, who's a good father, take care of his children? I mean, you need to have a, a, a confidence in the love and the care of God where you could come before him with a childlike dependence and say, Dad, I need help. But there's others that, Boy, you, you get that, but somehow you've lost the zeal to pray. Because he's like, well, you know, God knows. I just trust him. He's good. But you don't persistently pray about anything. You, you don't grab hold of anything. And somehow you've missed what power is found in prayer. And I'm telling you what Jesus does for us here is just hold out something to us that is incredible. It's power. It's a connection to God, and it's his power working in our life. how foolish it is for us to try to do life on our own, to try to handle our day in our own strength. That's folly, and that's weakness, and you weren't made for that. You were made for a connection to God that is meant to be power from outside of you to help you and be just flowing into your life. And I just want to tell you, that's amazing. And for some of you here tonight, you just got to almost like, that's what I need. <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm just, you know, a battery that's about to run dry. I feel like I have so little strength to handle life. It's like, well, where do you think you get that? Do you think you're supposed to kind of earn it up yourself? Like somehow you're supposed to be the supply of your life? it's it's prayer. It's how Jesus lived his life, and so he gives it to us. He's telling us that there's this place where we can connect with God, where we can find him to be all of that, and praying persistently with a childlike dependence, that there's there's an access, there's a wonder, there's an enablement, there's a strength that would be there. And I'm inviting you into it. I'm inviting you into it more. I'm telling you that it's not meant to be something that's outside of the realm of possibility in your life. It is strength. It is power. It is God's supply. It it is what God does in prayer. It's what God would work into our lives. I find myself thinking of what it simply tells us in James, where in in just a very succinct way, he simply says, you have not because you ask not. And I just want to tell you that that should just kind of land across us here this evening, letting us know there's, that's probably true for all of us, that God would look and say, I would do more. I would do more. But you, you live such 
an independent life. You don't seek me. You don't seek my, my strength. You're not asking. And, and he's not forcing. He's not forcing his, his, his work into our lives. And yet there's such a folly of us doing life in our own strength and how most of us can recognize that's, a, that's not the way I'm supposed to live. But I'm telling you, prayer works. That the, that the effective prayer of a righteous man, it can change things. It can change things in your life. It can change things in our world. That God is a prayer answering, prayer hearing God. And if you could see it, you'd want it. If you could see it in Jesus, who lived his life here perfectly, and the disciples somehow saw it, and they just looked and said, we need that. Because <laughs> you, you know, we watch you spend time, and we watch what happens in that, and we, we want that. And I'm, I'm inviting you to be one who wants that and pursues that and walks in that because one more time, it's power. It's strength that would meet us in the moment, that would carry us in our lives, that would work in our ways, and Jesus is giving it to us. Wow. So power. Power. The power of prayer, that's kind of where we're wanting to think about and just recognize there really is that. There really is supernatural, outside of you, enabling there is really supernatural divine power that would work in our lives. Well, interestingly enough, right on the heels of Jesus instructing his disciples in this, we also get a reminder that there are other power, that there's the power of Satan happening in our world as well. There's, there's other spiritual power in our world that's a broken power, and that's what we need to see. So we'll just notice it. It just begins there in verse 14. So, so as he was casting out a demon, and it was mute, so it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. So Jesus confronts a demon. I mean, demon is there, and he drives him out. I mean, just a recognition of that. But then some of them, verse 15, said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Others testing him sought a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against, it, against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will the kingdom, his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. Beelzebub really is a name of Satan. It really kind of Lord of the Flies kind of thing is kind of the thing, but it really is this kind of description of Satan and his power in the midst of this. And again, you get it. So Jesus does this supernatural work. He drives out a demon. And those who are rejecting it, they just begin to kind of, well, you know, it's probably because he's demonly powered. You know, that somehow there's, they begin to attribute Jesus's power to that. Now, again, there's a bunch of interesting stuff in this. They're rejecting Jesus. They're missing the whole thing. But I want to kind of come at it from an angle of just saying some very simple things, but some very important things that all of this opens up for us. One of the realities is just to begin with is that Satan is real, that he literally calls him that, that there, there is an enemy. I mean, when Jesus speaks about him in verse 18, if Satan also is divided against himself, this isn't just some kind of, you know, weird, you know, kind of mystical, but not really a real thing. It's weird that people would feel that. Probably not true in this room, but I just need to say it. Satan's real. He is real. He's real in our world. He's the ruler of this world. He is at work in this world. He's at work, it tells us in Ephesians, in just almost a wave that moves in our world, moving through the sons of disobedience. I mean, he's powerful, and he's powerful in this world. 
And there's a reality to that. There's a reality to him as an enemy in our lives. Add to that, he's organized. It's a little bit of what Jesus is explaining at this moment. So just backing up to verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, which is kind of fun, and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because I say, because I cast out demon, because you say, excuse me, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, then whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. So it's kind of just this logical thing that Jesus is reasoning with him. It's like that wouldn't make any sense. I mean, Satan, if Satan's fighting himself, that would only destroy his work. I mean, not talking deception, not talking lies, but if he's literally warring against himself, that, that'll bring everything he is down. That's not what he's going to do. And Satan isn't that way. There isn't a sense of, of him just being some kind of vague evil that is arbitrary or unorganized. That's not the way the Bible lays it out to us. In fact, Paul, when he talks about it in Ephesians 6, says it this way. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Like people, they're not our real problem but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness and the heavenly places. He lays it out in a very, you know, methodical and organized, and Satan is. Now, we know enough to know that that's present. Biblically, we don't have much more information than that. I mean, every now and then people are like, I want to know how this works. I mean, I want to know how, you know, the, the, the Bible gives us enough to know it's there. But in many ways, it doesn't give us more than that because we don't need more than that. But there is a sense that, you know, we're going to see later in the book of Daniel on Sunday mornings that demons are even assigned over nations, that, they, that, they, that they're at work in, in, in localities, that there's a very organized evil effort moving in the world. And there's a reality to, to even facing that, that that's what we're facing. And so Jesus is explaining, like, that would never, Satan would never do that. He would never fight himself because that would destroy what he's seeking to do. That would seek to undo what he's doing. So he reasons with them that that wouldn't work. But maybe the best news for us is what Jesus reminds us of next. Verse 20, I'll just read it again. He says, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overtakes him, and he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and, and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me. He who is not gather with me scatters. Jesus just highlights that he's stronger. He says, so you have this guy who's really powerful. He's like this soldier. He's, he's guarding his stuff. He seems like he's powerful. But if there's a stronger one if there's a stronger one who can come in and tear that apart and, and break through what he has, then there's, then there's power there. Now, you guys got to get this, and probably, probably pretty simple. Jesus is the stronger one. He's the one that just cast out a demon. He's the one that just showed up in power and stood against Satan's evil and, and, and stopped it in its tracks, and he's telling them, He's letting them know that, you know, that if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God is here. 
if this is God's hand at work, if I'm casting out demons by the power, the finger of God, then this is happening. And there's just such a glorious reality in this. There's such a glorious reality in recognizing that Jesus is stronger. I think about what John would tell us in 1 John, where he simply says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So many mistakes that people make with Satan, for some, and even Christians, they just deny it. They pretend that it's not that big a deal, that Satan isn't that real. And, and that, that only opens up his cause more. I mean, we're told every day to pray against him, to, to say, God, deliver us from the evil one. But others live in dreadful fear. I mean, they have a sense of it, that there's evil in our world. And it scares them. It scares them because you can almost feel the evil that's at work. And, and, and there's almost this, oh, you know, what's Satan going to do? And what Jesus is just letting us know is, I'm stronger than him. Like, he who's inside you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he, you are stronger. You have, he is stronger inside of you than, than he who's in the world. And there's such incredible hope there. There's such incredible things to recognize that though Satan is real, and he is certainly at work in our world, it's not something that should cause us to be living in dreadful fear. It should cause us to press into Jesus, like, okay, Jesus, yeah, like, you, you take him on. <laughs> Lord, deliver me from the evil one. God, rescue me from him. Like, I just want to recognize I need you, but I have great joy in recognizing that he is that, that he's the one that can and certainly does overcome. That said, notice what Jesus says next. He says, when an unclean spirit, verse 24, goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So what is Jesus telling us? Well, in one sense, it's just a reminder that Satan is indeed scary. He pictures this person that's kind of dealing with Satan in their lives and kind of tries to fix themselves up and, you know, kind of cleanses himself, but doesn't come to Jesus. Because if we come to Jesus, greater is he who's within us than he who's in the world, and, and there's no kind of sharing of real estate. Jesus could drive all that out. But there's the picture of this person who's trying to fight off Satan on their own. And Jesus just pictures like, yeah, even if they make a little bit of progress, then the demon's going to come back with seven others. And it will be worse for him than it was in the beginning. And again, there's some incredible kind of thoughts locked into there. There's some scary thoughts into that. But there's a simplicity for us just recognizing Satan is indeed real. This isn't a game that should be played with. There isn't a game because, you know, any attempt to handle that on somebody's own without coming into a relationship with Christ, it's only going to get worse and worse. Now, if you know Jesus here tonight, this is not you. If you have a relationship with Jesus tonight, greater is he who is within you than he who is in the world. There's no way for Satan to come back with seven spirits and overtake you. And because it's still Jesus is, is big in your life. And so I don't want anybody kind of fretting like, I think that's me. I think that's what's happened. No, it's not. You might need to, to, to pray more. You need to step into the supply of God more in Christ, but he cannot overcome you. But if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, if you're watching online tonight and you don't know Jesus, 
And maybe, again, you are recognizing that there's a need of power in your life. Like, I need something. I need, I need some kind of supply. I just want to tell you, there's a very evil, real world here. There's a spiritual realm where there is a devil, there is a Satan, he is at work, and you cannot handle him. If you try to fight against it in your own strength, not only will you fail, it'll get worse for you. That should be scary. Not the kind of scary that, you know, just makes it so that you, you know, hide under the covers, but it should be the kind of scary that just drives you to the Savior. It should drive you to say, okay, if I'm not enough for this, there's only one who is, and that's Jesus. That, that's him. And I'm just telling you, there's a very real darkness in this world, and if you're living in this world outside of a relationship with Jesus, you are in such scary territory. And I'm inviting you, I'm telling you, Jesus is greater. He's the strong man. He's the one that rescues, redeems, fixes, and takes us home. He's the one that can protect. And if you're outside of that, then again, part of this account that Jesus gives is meant to be fearful. Like the last state of this person would be so much worse because he didn't handle it with Jesus. That's why Jesus simply tells us back in verse 23, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. It's like, okay, if you're either going to be with me, you know, and we're going to go forward, or you're going to be one who's scattering and being scattered, that the enemy's going to be at work. And so it simply is a gospel nugget of saying, hey, this is real. And again, we're just inviting you to Jesus. We're telling you that God so loved the world, he gave his son that would be rescue and be the one that would rescue us out of that. And again, we're inviting you to that because it's just so real. So let's kind of put these two together and just make sure that we're thinking it through. Power. There is power available. You are not meant to do this on your own, and you are not enough. Sin would make you seek to do life on your own. All we like sheep have gone astray, and would sometimes cause us to want to try to handle life in our own strength. You will fail, and you have failed. For most of us, we've come to a recognition that, you know, I need something more. But the scary part is that sometimes people will search for power from anything. You know, they'll go to, you know, whatever spiritual, you know, thing. Maybe I could get, you know, go, you know, do this thing. Maybe I'll tap into my fortunes. Maybe I'll tap into some Ouija board thing. And because I need power, I want guidance. And I'm just going to tell you, that's a real thing. Satan's real, but he's not good. He will destroy you. That's what he does. There, there's a power that's needed, but please understand. Don't just think anything would be there. There's an enemy that's out there that you desperately want to stay away from. But there is a God. And there's an access in Christ that is more than enough for you. There's a place of becoming someone who prays. Charles Spurgeon once said, all the the virtues and excellences of the Christian life is encapsulated in one word, prayer. Everything that makes the Christian life, everything that God would have for all his excellence, all his virtues is found in this access that we have in him. I just want to tell you it's there. So in a simple way, I want to end with just asking you, so where are you on this? If you're in the space that you are looking for power 
in the wrong spaces. If you're in a space of, of looking for things, I just want to tell you, be scared about that and run to Jesus. I mean, if you don't know him, don't, don't play with this. We desperately call you to Jesus because there's an evil in this world that is destructive. But some of you, you're not looking to that, but you're not looking to anything else. There's a folly in seeking to do life on your own, seeking to be your own strength. And I'm just telling you, if that's you tonight, if you're in this place of finding yourself weak and thinking, I just don't feel like I'm able to do this, and you feel like maybe you're being asked to be more than you can, you might be trying to do it on your own. But I call you to prayer. I call you that you wouldn't be someone in the demonic, you wouldn't be someone doing life on your own, that you would be someone who says, I need more of what God has to offer. I need relationship, I need worship, I need focused into the kingdom, I need his guidance, I need his supply, I need his forgiveness, I, I, I need his help and protection. I mean, that you would realize that prayer is opening up the, all the aspects of power that could be available in your life. And so tonight I just give you that and say, I long for that to be you, that you would find yourself not you know, looking into the demonic, not trying to do life on your own, but being someone who's in prayer and growing in prayer. May it be tonight that you would find yourself just seeking that. So let's end there. You can close your Bibles. And let's just ask that God would do that. I just want to invite you to be someone who prays with us and, and even ask tonight that God would grow us to be a people that pray. Would you join me? Father, I think about what we've talked about tonight, and then I just reflect on you, Jesus, being the perfect Son of God, living perfectly in this world, and being one that did that through prayer. Your whole life was marked with that, from the beginning of your ministry to the Garden of Gethsemane, going to the cross. Prayer was how you faced this world. Why would we do less than that? Teach us to pray. Jesus, teach us to be a praying people. Teach us to be a people that are not doing life on our own. But we are grabbing hold of you, seeking you. God, that's always needed. But teach us to do that now. God, as I'm asking for that, I recognize that there's an evil power at work in our world. Satan's real and he's working. I'm grateful in you that we can overcome. I pray that we would. God, we see so much happening in our land, so much happening in our world, and it's certainly just kind of recognizing that it's not a problem with people. We have an enemy. It's not flesh and blood. We have a spiritual enemy behind so much that's happening. God, I pray for any that don't know you and find themselves under his authority that he would be the prince of the power of the air that works in the midst of the sons of disobedience you tell us in Ephesians 2 and this is a scary space to fight against that in their own strength it would only be their undoing God for that one tonight that doesn't know you I pray that they would see where they stand and see their need for you, and I pray that you would rescue. I pray that you would draw them into a relationship with you, and you would rescue. God, we are a people in need of power, but may it be your power that we know. 
I pray that for me and for all of us tonight, and again, just ask you from my heart to yours as your child, Lord, teach me to pray. I ask for that now. In Jesus' name, amen.